listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com. Good morning. Aren't you glad you can do what the last song said? That you can lift your eyes, that you can look to someone that can make a difference in your life. He knows all about your hurts. He can be your healer. That's one of my favorite praise songs that Bebo Norman did years ago. I, I really appreciate Wendy and the praise band doing that. Because we need to look to Him. But not just when we need healing, not just when we're broken, not just when we're in trouble. We also need to look to Him to find out what our next steps need to be in life. We need to look to Him to find out what He wants us to do as individuals and as a church. That's why we've done this series called The Next Step. If you've never made the first step by trusting Christ as your Savior, I can tell you up front today what the next step is for you, what He desires for you, because He literally tells us that in the Bible. Look what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. It's God's desire for all men to be saved. So much so that He sent His Son to the cross to shed His blood for your sin and for my sin. That's how much God desires for you to be saved. So if you don't know Christ, I can tell you without any apology and without any doubt, God's next step for you would be for you to receive Christ as Savior. He says to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. In other words, the only one that gets us access, the only one that can mediate between us and holy God is God the Son, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So if you've not made that step, that's the first step you need to make. If you have made that step already, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that first step is not the only step that you need to take. God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life and a plan for this church. So that is a great step, the most important step, receiving Christ as our Savior. But from there, you don't just sit down and wait to go to heaven. From there, God wants you to take additional steps. And that's what we're talking about in the series. Our theme verse is this. It's found in Galatians chapter 5. We pretty much hang out in Galatians 5 and 6 in this series. And the Bible says there, since we live by the Spirit. In other words, since the Holy Spirit of God was central to making us spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit of God convicted us of our sin. The Holy Spirit of God has given us the faith that we need to say yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, seals us to the day of redemption. So since the Holy Spirit of God has made us alive by, by us having faith in Christ, now because He's given us life, what we need to do is this. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That phrase, keep in step, almost reminds me of a, of a dance, you know, to kind of illustrate I mean, if you're doing a dance, you're keeping a step to the time of the music. You're keeping step to your partner. So maybe visualize it like this. The Holy Spirit of God wants you to join hands with Him. And He wants you to dance the dance that He wants you to have in your life. For you to keep in step with Him and the tune that He wants to play out in your life. 
I've already told you this several times in this series, but the phrase keep in step is literally in the Greek a military term. And and it's a word that means to march or to receive marching orders. So not only do we need to think of dancing with the Holy Spirit of God in our life, we need to be thinking about allowing Him to give us marching orders, telling us what our next step is. And the step we need to take after that, and the step we need to take after that. We talked about a lot of next steps in this series. We talked about the next step of salvation. We talked about the next step of sanctification. We talked about the next step of discipleship. We talked about the the next step of evangelism. We titled those things all different than that. But that's really the themes that we were dealing with. Today we're going to talk about this, the next step of our church. And that might sound a little bit scary when you start thinking about taking the next step. Because a lot of times you don't know exactly where that's going to lead, where that will take you when you take steps. It can be a little bit scary, but for those of us that have taken steps of faith, it also ought to excite us or energize us to think about taking the next step. Literally, because we're a church that's almost eight years old, we'll be this fall in October. But literally... Every step pretty much that God has put in front of us has been by faith. And that was a little bit scary because, you know, you start thinking about we're going to step out and we're going to start a church from scratch. I'd been in the ministry for about 20 years at that time. And, uh, you know, most of the time you go there, the church is already there as far as the building. People are already there. You know, when they call you to the ministry and things like that. And you start thinking about stepping out and starting a church pretty much from nothing. You have these questions that logically hit you. What if no one comes? (laughs) what if nobody shows up and then you're taking other steps as you look at trying to start a church because you have to have places to meet and things like that and you start looking at at trying to purchase facilities and you go to the bank and you sit down and you get ready to sign on the dotted line and you have these questions hit you what if no one gives (laughs) what if we can't pay for this after we sign it and say that we're going to pay for it so it can be scary But at the same time, I'm really glad that God has done it like that in the life of our church because I almost feel like the other 20 years I spent, I'm not trying to say I didn't do anything by faith, but it really pushed me out of a comfort zone and it pushed me out of the envelope a great deal to think about starting a church like day three. And it's all been kind of steps of faith. And I'm glad it was like that because it really has increased my faith. So instead of thinking about the next step being a scary thing, it ought to also be something that, that excites you. Wondering what God has next for us. As we talk about the next step for our church today, we've had this imagery uh, before us and the graphics and things like that, the video that you saw uh, a moment ago, uh, you know, kind of intro on the message. But we've had this graphic of looking down and, and seeing these hairy toes, and they were not mine. And uh, someone asked if they were Adams. They were not Adams. Adam put it together for us. But he, it, it, some, some guy's picture wouldn't even know we grabbed it online. Okay? So the guy had hairy toes. But we, we've got this graphic of, of, of hairy toes on the end of a springboard or a diving board. Given the thought to us, he's about to jump. So today, that's what we're going to close this series out talking about. I I want to talk about a springboard. I'm going to kind of give you the big picture of things and talk about what the springboard ought to be for us as Day 3 Church. 
And then Daryl, our associate pastor, Daryl Tribb, is going to come out, and he's going to share with you about taking the dive, about actually jumping in. If you're following along in your notes, here's our first blank that you need to grab this morning. But the springboard, I just referred to that. What is the springboard for Day 3 Church? The springboard for Day 3 Church needs to be this. It needs to be God's glory, and it needs to be for others. That ought to be the springboard of what we are about as a church. We ought to be about God's glory, and we ought to be thinking about reaching others. That should be a springboard for us as the church to launch us in to the future that God desires for us to have. How many remember the first time you ever dived off a diving board? Huh? Was it a little bit scary, you know, to start with and all? I mean, it was for me because the first time I dived off a diving board, it was not at a, you know, clean backyard pool or a city pool to where you could see to the bottom, see the water was clear, see what was there. Because in the community that I grew up in, Moravian Falls, Abraham Wills County, if you've ever been right where the Moravian Falls is, there's a place years ago they called Bob's Lake. And people would go there and, you know, as a kid, you thought you were kind of at the beach that had a little bit of sand, a little bit of mud. Uh, you know, dirty water, some platforms you could dive off of, different things there. So that's the first place I ever dived in. I couldn't see the bottom. Didn't know what it was going to be. I, you know, I was standing there scared to death as a kid and just decided to jump in. Well, after I realized I survived and it seemed like it was a little bit fun, then I went back and I did it again. And again and again. That's the idea I want you to get right now. It can seem a little bit scary thinking about taking a dive or a leap off of faith for God in the future that He wants you to have or the future He wants our church to have. But I'm telling you, the more you take a leap of faith, the more you realize God is there and God will equip and God will help you through it. And the more fun it is to come back and get on the diving board and jump again and jump again and jump again. But what we need to be about, guys, is this. The springboard for Day 3 Church needs to be God's glory for others. Now, if, if some of you um, follow me on Twitter about, uh, I don't know, a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, you probably thought I, you know, I had lost my mind or something. Uh, because I had been up late studying, and I was looking about this series in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6, and God had given me some thoughts, and then I went to bed, and I woke up about 3 in the morning. And when I woke up at 3 in the morning, I had this thought based upon some verses we're going to look at today. God's glory for others. Now, I can't explain this, but I just felt impressed on that night at 3 in the morning to pull out my Blackberry. I didn't get out of bed and go to my computer, but my Blackberry's there. I pulled it out. And I, and I sent a text, I, I think, a, a tweet to all of the 59 that were following at the time that only said, God's glory for others. So some of you probably read that and you thought, what does that mean? I thought three in the morning, I'm not going to bother anybody with it at three in the morning. Brian Prather had his phone on beep. I woke him up at three in the morning. <laughs> and he even texted me back, are you Okay. <laughs> But the verses we're going to look at today, I hope you'll see these thoughts. Because honestly, guys, God has not called this church or any church to be just like a, a little selfish country club. To where we come together and we just meet. God has called us as a church to be about God's glory. And I want to tell you up front, the next step we take 
every step we take, any step we ever take at Day 3 Church. That's what it needs to be about. It needs to be about God's glory. This church is not about Lynn Parsons. It is not about Daryl Triplett. It is not about you. It is not your church or my church. It is God's church. And that's why we need to take steps that give Him glory, not ourselves. We also need to take steps that are for others. Because it's not about us, guys. Now, now if you're here and and you've never received Christ as your Savior, or you're here and you have, but you've not made a commitment to actually, you know, join uh, Day 3 Church and be a part of Day 3 Church, I want to kind of let you in on something up front. The moment you do that, whenever you actually buy in and you decide to become an actual member of Day 3 Church, right now we're kind of trying to do church for you. The moment you become a member, we're not doing church for you anymore. You're supposed to be doing church yourself to try and help other people. You need to be having the goal of God bringing glory to Himself through your life and God reaching other people through you. That's what we need to be about as a church. So let's look at some verses and, uh, and, and break this down just a little bit. How the, the springboard for our church, the diving board for our church, needs to be God's glory and reaching other people. Look, look at your next blank, our next point. The next step of our church needs to be for God's glory. Must be for God's glory, not man's approval. What we do, we should do it for the right motive. What we do, we need to do it for God, for God to receive the honor, for God to receive the credit, for God to receive the glory, and not have some twisted mindset to where we're doing it just so people will recognize us or see us or we can get the approval of others. I want you to notice what Paul said as he wrote to these Galatian believers. I want to give you a little bit of background before I read this. Uh, I, we've mentioned it several times during the series, but it might be your first time here and you may not be aware of this. But one of the main reasons Paul's writing Galatians is that there's a legalistic group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are more or less doing this. They're wanting to kind of be like they're trusting in Jesus, but they're also wanting to kind of hold on to, to tenets of Judaism, some of the law and things like that. And they were telling these people that, that had been uh, received Christ as their Savior, been saved by grace, they were telling these people, that's not enough. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to do this. You also have to do that. So that's the background of what's taking place. Now, Paul writes these words. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Paul writes here, and he starts out saying, I want you to notice something. I am writing to you about this stuff, about people trying to bring law or legalism or works into grace. He said, I'm writing it with my own hand. He's letting them know this. Now, people have different opinions. Some theologians, Bible scholars, believe that Paul, because it says this, uh, maybe has some type of visual problem, problem with his, with his vision. 
Uh, we, we do know Paul said that he had something that was an affliction uh, that he had asked God to take away several times. And God said, no, if I do, you might become lifted up in pride. But no one knows for sure. No one knows absolutely for sure it was his vision. Might be, might not have been. But we do know for sure he points out to them that he's writing to them with his own hand. And to me, it's almost like Paul is saying, this is so important. This is extremely important that you understand and that you get this, that you're saved by grace and you don't have to be circumcised or you don't have to obey all the law in order to be saved. It's by God's grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's the message Paul's conveying to them. And trying to let them know it's important. He's writing it with his own hand. Hey, for all we know, you know, all the theologians that just assume he had a vision problem, Paul might be doing this. Paul might be saying, notice I'm writing big letters. Pay attention to what I'm saying. I want you to understand this. And he's telling them that you don't need to mix in law with grace. That you can't add works to what Jesus did on the cross. Because if we try and add works that we depend upon from our own lives to the ultimate work that Jesus did on the cross, we are destroying the work that Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't say it's almost finished when He died and you still need to do these things in order to be right with God. Jesus said it is finished, period, when He died on the cross. And more or less, what Paul does in these verses is accuse these legalists, these Judaizers, of having wrong motives. Instead of having a motive that God be glorified, instead of having a motive of reaching others, they had some very self-centered motives. So let's look at some wrong motives that Paul points out here in these verses. Wrong motive number one is this, to impress men. To impress men. Paul writes these words, those who want to make a good impression outwardly. That phrase in the Greek means to make a display. They were just interested in making an outward show because they wanted the accolades and the approval of men. They wanted to hear men brag about them. They they wanted to try and earn some type of credibility or likability with men. They were more interested with what the Jews thought than they were concerned about what God really thought. And they were straddling the fence, kind of trying to be part of Judaism and part of Christianity all at the same time. And they were doing it because they wanted to put this good outward show. That's why they were trying to compel them to be circumcised. It wasn't about it really being God's will for their lives. It wasn't that they needed to do it in order to be saved because they didn't. They were saved completely by faith in Jesus. The only reason they're trying to get these new believers to be circumcised is so that they can have this good outward impression. They wanted to make a display for others to see. You see, here's the problem with that. If we're not careful, we'll have the same approach and the same attitude creep into our own lives. Because we can become more concerned about what other people think than we are concerned about what Jesus thinks about our lives. Why do we let that happen? Why do people want to have an outward show? I can tell you with one word, pride. Read over in Proverbs, under divine inspiration, And it's phrased like this, I think, really to get our attention. These six things, oh, no, seven things that God hates. Number one, 
is pride. Why do we fall prey to that attitude? Why do we fall prey many times to wanting to impress other people? I think it falls maybe in, in, in this scenario. We're around people every day. We're around people all the time. You work around people, you live around people at home, you go out and practice your hobbies, play golf, whatever it might be around people. You're around people when you go out and shop. So they're right there for you to impress. And maybe we get in our mind, well, you know, getting to see God's a long ways out there, you know? And we get more concerned about what these people that we're having to relate to think about us than we're concerned about the very God who loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross thinks about us. And that's a mixed up set of values for us to have. It is a wrong motive and will always be a wrong motive for us to be more concerned about impressing men than we're concerned about pleasing God. What we need to be concerned about is bringing pleasure to God, doing what God wants us to do, and quit worrying about trying to impress men. Now, some of you may not like this, but I want to point out something to you. I think it's absolutely true. And, you know, if you don't, that's fine. Uh, You can be wrong. Uh, There's nothing impressive about us without Jesus in our lives. Now, someone wants to argue with that and think, but but no, I can do this and I can do that. You just don't know how talented I am and all the things that I can do. I know this, your heart will not take its next beat and your lungs cannot fill up with air if God doesn't let it happen. And anything that you think you have going on in your life that makes you an impressive individual, it's only impressive if God is the one that gave you the ability to do it. And that's where it came from. God is the one that gave you the ability to do it. You want to know what's impressive? God's impressive. Jesus dying on the cross... For our sins is impressive. Jesus taking his life back up from the grave, that's pretty impressive. Jesus ascending and sitting down at the right hand of God the Father, where he is praying for us, is impressive. The Bible says he's going to come back and rule and reign. He's coming back one day to take over. All that's impressive stuff, guys. But I just tell you, we're not impressive without Jesus. So why waste our energy trying to impress others? And that's what these... Jews were guilty of, these Judaizers were guilty of, uh, that, uh, that Paul's writing about. He said they're, they're just wanting to make a good impression outwardly toward other people. Second wrong motive they had was this. They wanted to avoid persecution. To avoid persecution. Mm, don't think that's it. Uh, there it is. Uh, the wrong motive to avoid persecution. Look at what he writes here. The only reason they do this. The only reason they're still trying to play around in Judaism and Christianity. The only reason they're saying Jesus plus good works, plus the law, plus circumcision. He said the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they felt like if they came out just like Paul came out and said, hey, it's all of Jesus, it's all what Jesus did on the cross for us. If they came out with that type of stance, guess what? Some of the ones that had tried to hunt Paul down might hunt them down. 
They were trying to avoid pressure in their lives. They were trying to avoid persecution in their lives. They were trying to avoid someone else hunting them down for the cause of Christ. So that's why they wanted it both ways. They wanted to be over here with the grace crowd. And they also wanted to be over here with a legalistic crowd because they did not want to take a hard stand one way or the other. And by doing so, it could have caused them to face persecution. So their wrong motive was to avoid trouble in their lives, to avoid persecution. Can I mention something to you? Being real honest with you, because some people won't be real honest with you. There is no guarantee when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior that it's going to be a cakewalk. A rose garden. There is no guarantee that you're going to have plenty of health and plenty of wealth. I don't care what you hear from somebody on TV. Just because you receive Christ as your Savior. Pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs sometime and read it. Because those people who made a full commitment to follow Jesus in spite of whatever it cost them, suffered and lost their lives. Many of them were tortured for the sake of the gospel. And I'm telling you that just to be upfront with you. There are people in places in this world where we have missionaries sent in very dangerous places that they could lose their lives in an instant. It's not all over this world cool and okay to show up at church, hear music, and hear a message out of the Bible. You could be arrested, thrown in prison, and lose your life because of it. And some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I'm in America. Yeah, here's the problem with that. Even in America, if we would sell out lock, stock, and barrel as we should to follow Christ and be doing everything that He calls us to, to follow Him, I guarantee you, you're going to face some degree of persecution. It might just be somebody slamming a door in your face. It might be someone not wanting to be your friend anymore because you've started telling them the truth of the gospel. But if you would do what God calls us to do, if I would do everything that God's calling us to do in America, if we would get over being spoiled Christian brats in America... I tell you what, there'd be some heat that you'd face too. So the very fact that we're here in America and it's cool to come to church and we can read our Bibles and we can be entertained, we can have songs and everything like that, that's not what it's about. What it is about is us taking the next step for Jesus, the next step for Jesus, the next step for Jesus, whatever it costs. And not trying to avoid persecution in our lives. They had another wrong motive. They have the wrong motive of wanting to brag about their influence or their accomplishments. Look what Paul writes here. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Now, let me stop there just a minute. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about legalistic people. Let me qualify something because you may be a first-time guest and you might be thinking, oh, he's just, he's just cracking on you know, conservative values and everything. No, I'm not. I'm conservative myself. I believe everything this Bible says. But there are people that make up man-made rules. 
and twist theology and everything else trying to come up with rules and, and that you have to jump through. Have you ever noticed sometimes those type of people that make certain rules that they want to apply to your life, have you ever noticed sometimes they don't keep the rules themselves? Or those people that are putting these boundaries and rules on your life, saying if you're really a Christian, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And, and a lot of us maybe just man-made concepts that they come up with, personal preferences that they have. Have you ever noticed that they might be doing the one they're telling you you need to do, but they're not doing some of the others? So, so he says, not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Here's their motive. He said, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, the only reason they want to manipulate you and talk you into being circumcised is so they can brag about it and say, look what we've done. These Judaizers could run over to the Jews and say, hey, guess what? We got these people over here that Paul led to Jesus to be circumcised. Look at us. Look what we've done. Look how we manipulated somebody to do what we wanted to do. I have never tried to do this. And if I have ever looked like this, God forgive me. And if I ever do look like this, you come and tell me. But I do not ever, ever want you to do something because you feel manipulated by me. I only want you to do what God calls you to do. And I don't want you to do what God calls you to do so I can pat myself on the back and, or any of our leaders can pat themselves on the back or Daryl can pat himself on the back and say, look what we've got them doing. I want you to do what you do for God's glory. Period. And yet these were doing it because they wanted to brag about their accomplishments. They just had the wrong motive. You might be thinking, well, that's kind of tough. I don't know if I can really do that. I don't know if I can quit worrying about what people think. I don't know if I can quit worrying about what other people say about me. I want you to look at the next verse. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want something to brag about, if you want something to be prideful about, if you want something to shout about, if you want something to be happy about, to brag about to other people, try this. Just brag about Jesus. If you want something to boast about, if our church needs something to boast about, we don't ever need to boast about our own accomplishments or your own accomplishments or the accomplishments of our church because our church will be nothing without what God wants to do through it. And all of our boasting better be about Jesus. Because I honestly feel like here's the deal with that. If we quit boasting on Jesus, and if we ever start making it sound like it's about us and what we can do, as soon as we start, start robbing the glory from God and taking the credit away from God, we might as well lock the doors because we're pretty much done. We can show up and have a country club meeting and have a fellowship and have entertainment and have a little study out of the Bible and whatever. But I tell you what, God's Spirit will cease to act the way we want to see Him function in the life of this church if we ever start robbing His glory. Well, preacher, that's hard because I'm concerned about what people think. Here's what you need to do. Paul said, through which the world has been crucified to me, and out of the world. 
How do you get over worrying about what the world thinks, what other people think? Here's the deal. You're dead. You were crucified with Christ. You're dead. The world that you're worried about, what they might think about you, or they might think about our church, you've been crucified to that world. And that world's been crucified to you. So quit worrying about it. Focus on the one who was crucified for you. And do what he calls you to do. Springboard that we're on. The diving board. As we think about the next step for our church is first of all, we need to understand the next step of our church must be about God's glory, not trying to win the the praise of men or impress men. Secondly, and then I'll quit and Daryl will come and share this. Secondly is this. Just trying to give you the big picture. The springboard for the next step of our church is about God's glory. That's what we just talked about. But the next step of our church also needs to be this. It must be for others and not ourselves. It must be for others and not ourselves. We need to be willing to let God use our lives and our abilities and our talents to reach other people. God did not gift you, equip you, give you the things that you can do in your life just so you can use it for your own enjoyment. God wants to use your life if, in fact, you're a Christian. And if you are a member of Day 3 Church, God wants to use your life in this church in a way that ministers to other people and reaches other people. We need to be willing to leap into the future that He has for us. That involves His glory, but it also involves reaching other people, living our lives for other people, and not living our lives just for ourselves. I've already said, guys, real church is not a little self-centered country club. It's supposed to be about reaching others. Notice what Paul says in these verses. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's at least two things there I want you to see real quickly. I dealt with them a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going in great detail. But number one, he tells us we need to restore other people who have fallen. And if you remember the word study from two weeks ago in the Greek, the word restore literally was used to talk about setting a broken bone or mending a net that had a hole in it or doing repair work on a ship that had been on a rough voyage and it had received damage while it's on the voyage. That needs to be the mindset we have when a fellow brother or sister in Christ falls. Instead of us gossiping about them, instead of us kicking them while they're down, what we need to be about is resetting their spiritual bones, mending their spiritual nets, repairing their life from the damage that they face because of a moral failure in their life. And we need to be about restoring them. We need to be about ministering to other people. We also need to be about carrying each other's burdens or carrying burdens for other people. And you might be thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound like fun. Well, I'll tell you, it's not sometimes. 
Ask Jesus if it was fun when He carried your burden and He went to the cross and He suffered and He died for you. Carrying burdens can be tough. But if Jesus carried our burdens, that gives me a pretty good example that I ought to carry the burdens of others and you ought to carry the burdens of others. When you think of the idea of carrying a burden, think about picking up a heavy weight. It requires you to exert energy. It requires you to get down and dirty. It requires, you know, sweat. And it's not always fun when you're carrying a heavy weight. And the same thing can be true of ministering to other people. But people need Jesus. And people need to be loved. And people need compassion. And part of the next step of our church always needs to be God's glory. But it also needs to be about other people people and we can't afford to be self-centered and just think about taking care of our own junk and ministering to ourselves look at the next two verses let us not become weary and well or in well doing weary and doing good depending on your translation for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up if you ever wanted to give up, you're trying to work with someone, you're trying to win somebody to Jesus, you're trying to carry their burden, you're trying to restore them, you're trying to minister to them, and it looks like it's going nowhere. Do you ever have the, the, the feeling you just, well, I'm done with them, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to quit. I tried to do good with them, but you know, it didn't work, so I'm just going to give up. You understand we can't afford to do that? Here's why we can't afford to give up. Because it says at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There are people who need Jesus in this world, and you and I cannot afford to give up. We can't afford to sit back on our laurels. We can't afford to think church is just about us, to where we come and we're entertained, and we get a Bible lesson, and we go home, and we put our Bible up, and we don't read it, and we don't pray, and we show up the next Sunday wanting to oppress somebody because we showed up at church. Church needs to be about us really listening and applying the Bible and glorifying God and changing the lives of other people. It's not some club you show up at once a week or twice a month. It needs to be about us reaching others. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As you have opportunity, sometimes when we talk about being involved in ministry, and Daryl's going to kind of talk to you about volunteerism uh, in just a minute when he comes out, sometimes you get in the idea when we talk about you being involved in the ministry of this church, you get in your mind, well, I can't get up and do what Pastor Lynn does, or I can't do what Pastor Daryl does, or I can't do what Wendy does, or Will, or Nicole, or our other musicians, and things like that. And that's your mindset. Listen, you need to change that mindset because if you're a Christian wherever you are every day of your life you have opportunities to serve Jesus you have opportunities to change the life of someone else it might be where you work at it might be at the marketplace it might be in your own home it might be with your friends but you have opportunities all the time all around you to change somebody's life If you blow it, it hurts. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to get out of the way. And Daryl's going to come finish. And I'll tell you up front, the service probably will be a little bit long today. But it's a very important thing, talking about the next step of our church. Some of you may have heard me tell this before, but the last partner I had in law enforcement 27 years ago, before I was answered the call to full-time ministry, he was my partner for about three years. His name's Dennis Johnson. 
I'd been gone from the department about a month, maybe, if that, pastor my first full-time church. And I was listening to the 11 o'clock news at night, and I heard that an officer from North Wilkesboro Police Department, where I served, the, the last place I was at, had been shot in an armed robbery. And I'm getting ready to try and call, and I think even before I get a chance to call, the police department had called, and Becky had answered the phone, and uh, it was Dennis, it was my partner. He was in plain clothes, walked up on an armed robbery taking place at a convenience store. The guy had a mask on, but he knew who Dennis was, recognized him, ran past him, realized who he was, turned around with a shotgun, and about the time Dennis turned to face him, he shot him and hit him right here with a shotgun. And they about lost Dennis twice on the way to Baptist Hospital. And Dennis was in the hospital asking for me. I went from Wilkesboro to Baptist Hospital in 35 minutes. Did I break the speed limit? You bet. I still had a badge with me. I got stopped in Yakinville. I told them what was going on. They gave me an escort through the rest of the county. If they had left me alone, I would have been faster. Because I was afraid he was going to die. And I knew that he didn't know Jesus. And I had spent three years beside of him. And part of that time, I didn't give him much of the example that he needed to see. Because God had not really got hold of my life in some major ways at that point. This past Friday, I think it was, may have been Thursday, I think it's this past Friday. Dennis and his wife were sitting in a stoplight in Wilkesboro. And an elderly man, for some reason, didn't stop, didn't even touch his brakes, hit them full speed in the back. And she was killed. Donna was killed. Dennis didn't become a Christian before, even though I talked to him. As far as I know, Donna's not a Christian. And today, I'm in a tough place. Because someone that I knew died Friday, probably lost. And the partner that I worked with is in Baptist Hospital right now with a broke leg, broke arm. And I've got some work to do when I get to see him and talk to him. Will you pray for me that I can get him to Jesus? I'm just telling you guys, church needs to be about God's glory and it needs to be about others. Daryl's going to come and share Well, good morning. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, if you've been coming to day three for uh, for some time, uh, you've probably figured out and realized now how we do church here and how we feel like God has led us to, to do church here uh, in this setting, in this place, in this community. Or uh, if you, uh, this may be your first Sunday at day three and you normally attend some other church and you're visiting today, that's cool, we're glad you're here. Or if you're here today for the very first time and you haven't been to church in a long time, and you remember, wow, this is not the way that uh, we did church when I was small or, you know, years ago. That's cool, too. But whichever category you fall there, uh, I want you to think about, <clears throat> fast forward your mind to what you think church maybe should be like or maybe should look like. Not today, but 10 years. 10 years from today or 10 years from this year will be 20 2020. Somebody in the room can do math. 
2020. It will be 2020. And you know, the, through, uh, with optometrists and, you know, the eye doctors, uh, they say, you know, your best vision is 2020. Some people have 2010, which is really good. 2020 vision. And that's what we, you know, we all strive to look at. But what I want you to think about here for just a few moments. In 2020, what, what should church look like? What does, would I like to see church uh, appear to be what maybe should day three look like in 2020 in 10 years in 2020 what how will we live together how will we do ministry here in this setting as a day three church as a group of believers how will we do church to advance the kingdom of god and i wonder you know i think that we may need 2020 vision to see that to see how god is going to move in this place and if we're going to turn our feet and go in that direction to what church could be, should be in 2020, we need to think about where we are today and where we need to, what we need to do, where we need to turn our feet and what direction we need to go so that in 10 years it will look as God intends it to look. So when you look at yourself in 10 years from now, really, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? If you could just take just a few moments here and do that. You may be sitting here thinking, well, Daryl, I don't even know what I'm eating for lunch. And you're asking me to do 10 years? Okay. You can work with me. Okay? 10 years. I'm going to give you some help, some prompts, okay? 10 years from now, how old will you be? Somebody spoke up in the first server and said, really old. Okay? That may be true. I don't know how old you are. 10 years from now, will you be married? Will you have kids? Will you have grandchildren? <laughs> How far advanced in your career will you be in 10 years? Will you have entered retirement in 10 years? In 10 years, how long will you have been married? Can you picture in 10 years what your children will look like? Will they be in adulthood? Or that wonderful, joyous time, a teenager in 10 years? It's a wonderful experience. I'm so glad I'm out of that. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? In 10 years, who will, get this, who will their friends be? Because I hope you know, gosh, if you don't know this, you need to know it. Your child's friends shape them. Mm. So that being the case, you need to help them choose wisely who their friends are. Ten years from now, what kind of church do you want to be a part of in 2020? What kind of church? What will be the impact of Day 3 Church in 2020? What will be the impact on you, your children, your grandkids? How will this church be impacting this community in 2020? How will this church be impacting the world in 2020? Those are some huge questions. So I'm asking you to think about, you know, the church and how you'd like to see that be, what you'd like to see be uh, as far as day three is concerned. And I want you to think about a church that you'd th- be thrilled to be a part of. You'd be thrilled to be excited that, hey, that's that's my home. And I want you to realize that, you know, this is all vision. This is all God. But you need to have a part in that as well. 
what your vision is for this church. So in 10 years from now, if this church was everything you wanted it to be and could be and should be, and if it was everything that God wants it to be, what story would God be writing in your life? Through the ministry of this church, the life of others, through the ministry of this church, what impact would we be having on the world? Think about it. What about our worship? Worship's changed a lot over the years, hasn't it, Bill? Okay? Worship's changed dramatically. What would it look like in 2020? You do realize that the students who are in our youth group today, in 10 years, they will be the movers and shakers, the pace setters of the world. A new generation. Hmm. You do realize that the way that we communicate the life-changing message of Jesus may have to change. I didn't say the message. The way we communicate the message may have to change. So in 10 years, what will our worship look like? Will it impact our lives like it does today? Think about your prayer life. Will your prayer life be deeper? Will you be more devoted to God 10 years from today than you are now? Can you picture a children's ministry that 10 years from today are helping kids know and own the fact that they matter to God and that God has a plan for their life? So I want you to ask yourself, what would it take to carry the redemption of God's story to children, students, and adults in 2020? What do you see? In your 2020 vision of the church, do you see day three as a place that helps people serve, to join God? In making a difference in people's lives. I want you to know that you have a part in that. I'm going to be very honest with you this morning. Uh, especially those of you who call Day 3 home as a, as a member. Uh, I just want you to know that if you, if you just want to sit around here passively over the next 10 years. And waste your life on things that won't last you probably may want to consider finding another church because uh, you're going to be feeling really uncomfortable here because I'm coming after you. And what I mean by that is I'm coming after you because I want to spur you on. I want to cheer, be your greatest cheerleader in helping you realize that God has a place for you here at your church to serve, that he wants you to be on mission with him to know what it means to join him in partnership. So I have a question. And then I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to think about this question. Is it possible to follow Jesus and not join in on what he is building? The church. That's what God's all. Jesus is all about the church. You do know that, don't you? He died for the church, so he's all about the church. So is it possible to follow Jesus and not be a part of building that up, enlarging the kingdom? I think I know the answer. I think you do as well. Join me in prayer. Lord, I know this is not a game to you. Lord, I also know that we are not to be lone rangers uh, in our ministry here at this church, but rather, God, you call us to be a body of believers, a body that is working as one, 
is what I know pleases you most, God. Lord, I also know that the lives of others that are, are dependent on my life, the, on the lives of those others in this room who call Day 3 Church home, their lives are dependent on what we are doing here in this place. I also know, Lord, that what we are doing, how you are blessing this church, really upsets the enemy. God, I know our task is great, but I know you are greater. God, our dreams and our vision are from you, and because you set before us life and death, and we have chosen life, so I know, God, that our dreams and vision are from you. God, not just in here, but out there. So, God, I ask that you help me to communicate clearly without any confusion that your desire is for what is up there in heaven to be down here on earth. And that is your will. Your will alone. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Reverend, with your permission, I'd like to make an announcement. Young man, this is a house of God. I understand that, Reverend. I apologize. The South Carolina militia is being called up. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Son, we are here to pray for the souls of those men hanging outside. Yes, pray for them. But honor them by taking up arms with us. And bring more suffering to this town. If King George can hang those men, our friends, he can hang any one of us. Dan Scott, barely a week ago I heard you rail for two hours about independence. And? Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us?
In your handout, the next the blanks that uh, that you have next is is all about team. Team matters. It is God's desire. I hope you know that we are not to be Lone Rangers, Lone Ranger Christians, but that He has a plan, and we're not meant to be Lone Rangers because team matters to God. It matters to God. It matters to God to God greatly. You know, the, the, this scene is from the movie The Patriot. Uh, if you do not know that. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. And in this scene we just watched, the point that team matters, that a collective group matters, is illustrated wonderfully. And in the movie, in that point in the history of our country, if, you, if, if you're familiar with history of our country, it was so important for, in the American Revolution that people rally around and people rally around the cause. What was the cause? Freedom and liberty. Freedom and liberty, that was the cause that people were called to. Pastor Lynn communicated our cause greatly just a few moments ago. The challenge was this for the people during the American Revolution that day and time. Live in bondage under British rule or die free. That was the choice. And I want you to know that this morning, outside the four walls of this building, there are many people in this community who are dying in bondage in sin. And we as believers, those of us in the room who are Christians, are living free. And we can make the choice to whether or not we want to stay alone, to live inside our little holy huddle, or do we want to make an impact and help others gain spiritual freedom, to live free, die free. So the response this morning is I hope you will join the team because team matters to God so that we can get more on the team so more will know the freedom from the bondage of sin. Or you may choose today to live in your own little universe, in your own little world, and people are going to go to hell because of that. And if you're cool with that, hmm, hey, is something wrong. Let's look at these verses from Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help them help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. It means more when people pull together and share the load, share the burden. Let's look at these verses from Philippians. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, wow, partnership. In the gospel, from the first day to now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The key word that you need to grab hold of from this passage from Philippians is the word that starts with a P, not pray. Partnership. That is Paul's main emphasis in this passage is that you are partners with God, working to bring about, working to bring about glory to him, working about serving God. Where you're at. It's a partnership on purpose, on mission with God. You see, you and I have a, have, have a high privilege. A very high privilege of partnering with God. It is a partnership, I want you to get this, that will impact people for eternity. Now, that's a long time. How long is eternity? Forever. That's how great the opportunity and the partnership is here at our church, when you join the team, become a part of volunteering, serving here at day three. 
I don't know how many of you have make investments, have a 401k, play the stock market. Don't know about that. Uh, some of you have done really good. Some of you really stinks right now. I don't know. But I want to really impress upon you that the investments that you make here when you serve at Day 3 Church have much greater value. How much greater value? Much greater value than my 401k, Daryl. Much greater that value than my retirement savings. Oh, yeah. Heaven or hell. I mean, that's pretty good value. Would you agree? I mean, someone's going to heaven or someone's going to hell. Much greater value. Things that will last. Things that will, you know, endure for eternity. That's the investment you make when you serve at day three as well. A partnership with God, serving God by serving others. So team matters. And I hope that you will not choose to be a lone ranger. Only thinking about yourself. The second thing, real quickly, is leadership matters. Don't be a corrupt leader. Let's look at these verses from Proverbs 29. This one verse. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. You know, God wants leaders who possess and follow after him with all they have. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking about, well, you're talking about yourself. Or you're thinking, talking about Pastor Lynn. Or you're talking about one of the praise team leaders. No, I'm talking about all of us. Because you need to realize that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are automatically entered into the priesthood of God. And in, in the Old Testament, during that time, during the Bible, in the Bible, priests held such a great and high position that they were leaders. People looked to them as leaders. And if you're a Christian today, you are a leader you might not hold a post in the church, a position in the church, but you are a leader. When you decided to follow the Lord, that came, that was part of the, the, the package, if you will. That is part of your responsibility is to lead others. You are on mission with God. Again, it's all about the partnership. And you and I are called to lead others by example. Well, you may be like, well, Darrell, I just want to follow Jesus. That's all I want to do. I just want to follow Jesus. Hmm. Well, I understand that. I understand that. But that's not possible. Because it's just human nature that people will follow leaders, follow directions, follow which way they're going. And you as a Christian, by definition from God's word, you are a leader. You're making a difference. You're making an impact. The choice is up to you on what kind of Leader you're wanting to be. So we're called to step up and serve and be the church. Let's look at some verses from John 21. These are really good stuff. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Here we see in this passage right here that Jesus is giving Peter an assignment. He's helping Peter to see that because of who he was, helping him to understand his responsibilities. Peter, this is your job. You've got to lead out. 
You've got to lead so others will follow. A shepherd leads sheep. He was telling Peter, be a shepherd, lead out. And so I will ask you this morning, just as Jesus asked Peter, do you love Christ? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? I mean, if so, I want to encourage you to help where you can help and serve where you can serve. It's so important. The last thing is this. Everyone playing their part matters. Everyone playing their part matters. And I want to encourage you not to be a hoarder. Not to be a hoarder. You know, I believe that uh, everyone has at least two great moments in their life. At least two. One, first great moment in your life is when you're born. I mean, it's pretty good. (laughs) You're born. The second great moment that everyone has, I believe, is when you figure out why. Why were you born? What's your purpose? Why were you placed here? Why did God create me? What's this all about? I want you to understand that everyone has a part to play. And everyone playing their part matters to the life of Day 3 Church. And God says everyone needs to play their part. Look at this verse from Romans 12. This is Paul speaking. He wrote a letter to the Christians at the the church in Rome. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. It doesn't say, for by the grace given me, I say to all the preachers, all the Sunday school teachers, all the praise team members. No, it says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Now, let's see what the rest of the verse says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of God of faith God has given you. Continuing. Just as each of you, excuse me, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul here is communicating the importance of the role and the part that everyone plays in the function of a church. You may be here today and you've yet to place your faith in Christ. And you may be here, you're just checking out what it means to be a Christian, and you're really unsure about being a Christ follower and all that. I want you, I want you to know that someone, the chair that you're sitting in today, somebody bought that. So you have a chair. To begin with. Second thing is that you're in a safe place. You're among friends. But I also want you to know that God desires for you to turn your life over to Him. And once you do so, to serve Him for the rest of the days of your life. If that's true of you, you the, the devil, Satan, will tell you, You've messed up way too much to give your life to God. You've made too many mistakes to make a difference in somebody else's life. That is a lie. Okay? That is a lie. This room is full of people, especially the one on stage, who have made mistakes, who have blown it, who have missed the mark, who have disappointed others, who have sinned. 
There is forgiveness in the grace of God. Amen. Amen. God wants everyone to play a part. We need to remember that every one of us has been invited to join in the partnership with God. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. The gifts that you were given, be your talents, your abilities, maybe a skill set, your personality, all these things were given for a reason. Not just for you to hoard up and hold into yourself. What if a musician... Musician. <laughs> what if someone who played the guitar <laughs> kept that all to themselves? They stayed in their house and they're the only ones who hear that. What if someone, a doctor, went to school, got his degree, stayed at home the rest of his life, never practiced medicine? A teacher who's passionate about children, children learning. And all they did was stay at home. And they never used that passion for God's glory. You've got to understand that the way that you're gifted, your ideas, your creativity, your time, you could hoard it all up, hold it for yourself, keep it to yourself and say, this is mine. It's all about me. It's all for me. But God says, no, I gave you all of that. For others. For my glory. For others. Who wins? When you give. Others. The body. The church. And all of you have been invited and have a part to play. Again, your gifts were not given to you just for you. They were not given to you to hoard up. And if you're doing that, i got a one word question. Why? Why? In the end, it's not going to make a difference. Not to you. Because it's like, as the pastor was saying, we were, we're created for community. We're created to serve God. I mean, can you imagine if all of us did our part and played our part? How wonderful that would be. How encouraging that would be. Anybody ever, here ever had a job that they hate? Oh. It's terrible, ain't it? You go to work, punch you in. Oh, God, please bring lunchtime on fast. You hate it so much. You get through lunchtime and, God, please send my afternoon break time. I hate my job. Many of us have been there. Now, how many of you have ever had a job that you love? Okay. All right. That's what I'm talking about. If I could tell you that you could have a job that in which you would go to and and perform or serve and act out of how God's wired you and gifted you and that you would be so jacked up that you couldn't wait to get to that job, would you take it? Hmm. That can be found here. Serving at this church. See, when you serve here at this church, you're serving others and in turn glorifying God. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's just possible. No, it's 
true, that God wired you and shaped you with gifts and talents and abilities for a reason because he has a part for you to play. And I just want to encourage you to consider playing that part. I'm going to look at a few verses here and we're going to close from Luke chapter 8. They sailed to the region of the, of the Gezerines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Stop right there. We're not going to read that. Just a second. How do you get to where he was? Living the way he was living. The Bible says he was naked, living in solitary uh, around the tombs. How do you get there? Hmm. What direction are your feet pointed in to get you to that point? I mean, I've told. I mean, you've heard this before. I mean, the way your feet are pointed—that's where you're going to head. I mean, that's the direction you're going. You do know that, don't you? Because if you don't want to end up over here, you need to change directions. I counseled with a young lady uh, this week, uh, who's had her feet pointed in the wrong direction for years, and because of that, the fruit of the way her feet's been pointed is hitting her in the face right now. Look at the rest of these verses. This is the man. This is not Jesus talking. This is the man again. The demons are speaking out of him. He says, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times, get that, many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places like the tombs. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Again, this is the same passage, uh, the same verses. I want, The reason that they're there the second time is I really want to emphasize this point to you. Many times it had seized him. So it would seize him. He would go. He would break the chains. He would go live in solitary uh, places. They would capture him again. Bring him back again and again and again. Many times the Bible says there. Look at the bottom of the screen. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replies, because so many demons, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeling, feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and he heard, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those ten of the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, get that, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gezerines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Last verses. 
the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the men went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. There it is. That was his purpose. Go tell. Do you see your purpose there? You may be sitting there thinking, Daryl, I'm bad. Again, you don't know my mistakes. You don't know my past life. You don't know how I messed up. Were you this bad? Could you have possibly been this bad? That God came on the scene, entered this man's life, changed his life, cleaned him up, clothed him, and God tells him, Jesus tells him, go. Go tell what I've done for you. Jesus redeemed his life and rescued him. And he said, I've got a purpose for you. Go tell. And that's it for us today. I'm suggesting to you this morning that God has a reason and a purpose and a call in your life today. Part of that call and part of that reason for your life is to serve. Not to be a lone ranger. Not to be a corrupt leader. And not be a hoarder. We're all on a mission with God. And God has called us. And it's a privilege to be on that journey with God about changing lives, helping people understand that He loves them and that He has a purpose for their life. I want to close with three quotes, excuse me, two quotes from the, the, the movie clip. And I want you to ask yourself these, answer these questions to yourself. The young lady, when she stood up in church, asked this. And I want you to ask yourself this. Will you now, when you are needed most, Stop only at words. Wow. That's a challenge. Is that the sort of believer that you are? You're just going to stop at words. I just want to follow you, Jesus. That's all I want. And then she asked, she said this. I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. That is my heart. That is his heart. If you profess to be a, be a cross follower and you're a member of this church, we're asking you to step up and to serve. Become a partner with Jesus. Serve out how he's wired you and made you for his honor and for the good of others. That's what it boils down to. Join me in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings, God. I thank you that we could be here to worship, that we could share your word. Lord, that we, now that we've shared your word, we ask that you help us to act upon it, to be obedient. Lord, there's some people in this room who need to make some big steps in their life in terms of serving. Lord, help them to know and realize that their past is not so bad that you, they cannot be used. Help them to understand and realize, God, that with the same power that you raised your son from the grave, the same power is available for us to serve. Lord, there's some in this room who need to take that step. 
who need to take the step from just being Christ followers to being a Christ follower and a Christ server. Serving out of that partnership. Serving so that the good news can be communicated. Lord, you know what everyone's next step is that's in this room. And God, I know that they know it as well. So God, I ask again that you give us courage to act upon that. To give us that courage to take that next step. Say yes to you. To whatever that looks like. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. In your updates, you will find a small piece of paper that we have used. Not the same piece, but uh, just like it. But we have used each week. And the challenge for you is to look over that. And maybe on that sheet of paper, you will find your next step. And we've been asking you, if you'll remember, if you've been here this month, is to take this paper, check on which line is appropriate to you, how you feel God leading, and take it and put it on one of the crosses at the back of the room. You don't have to do that, but it's a pretty good thing to do that because it's a you're committing an act of obedience. It's like I prayed. I can't fool God. You can't fool God. You know what that next step is. I just pray that we all, all of us, have the courage to act and quit let and, and no longer let the same old, same old be the same old, same old. Because if we keep doing what we have always done, we're going to keep on getting what we've always got. You do know that, don't you? So, his vision, my vision for this church is to move forward so that the kingdom of God is enlarged and impacted in this community and around the world. You have a role in that. And I just want to encourage you to become partners with God and act. He and I are here to front. If you need to speak with us, we'd be honored to pray with you, speak with you. But you do know your next step. You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.